I've mentioned before that I've grown up with a lot of cousins. My mom had a lot of brothers and sisters, and so I have a pretty large extended family. And a lot of us within the family are pretty competitive. And growing up, there was a lot of time for us to just play together, whether it be sports or board games or card games or what have you. And one cousin in particular, very close to him, he um, is especially competitive. And I remember if ever we would be playing a game and we would just kind of forget to keep score, he would just get so frustrated. And he would say, why are we even playing if we're not keeping score? What is the point? And if ever I would suggest that we would just kind of like have fun and not keep score, like he was not interested at all, totally disengaged. Why in the world would anybody desire to play a game without keeping score? So maybe some of you can relate. Maybe you have that competitive drive within you. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that uh, it's true, like that whenever we keep score, there is something about friendly competition, keeping score. There's more passion in the game. There's more drive to to compete. There's more excitement and enthusiasm in the game because it means something because you're keeping score. And I think that in our brains, we're, we're just kind of hardwired for that, particularly with just our typical experience. This not only happens in play, but it also happens just with our economy. Think about it. We think in terms of investing, making money, paying debts, owing things. And, and we, we think in these terms and in these categories. You do your work and you get paid for what you worked for. And if someone gives you something, you feel like you got to pay them back. And that's just kind of the way in which we understand our reality. But the prophet Isaiah in today's first reading tells us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And that God's ways are not our ways. In other words, even though we think we might get something... God often has a way that's transcendent, that's beyond our categories of thinking. And I think that's particularly helpful to keep in mind as we try to understand today's gospel. Today's gospel is one of those that can sometimes be a little tough to understand, or maybe if you feel like you understand it, it's a little unsettling. It almost seems like God's not fair, at least in the way that this gospel parable is presented, which is not unusual for parables. We've mentioned before that parables typically are uh, a story with with figurative language or at least some type of um, symbolism that's going on, but there's always tends to be some type of twist, and it kind of turns our world, our, our categories of thinking upside down. Well, it definitely does in this story. So in case you kind of zoned out while we were reading the gospel, here's a quick recap. What's happening here is Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God. It's like a landowner who hires laborers in his field. He hires them at 6 a.m. at dawn. And then at 9 a.m., he sees a few others standing idle in the, in the marketplace. He says, why y'all standing around idle? Come work in my field. I'll pay you what is just. It's very important. Keep that in mind. He tells them, I'm going to pay you what's just. Then he goes out at about noon, more people standing idle, he hires them, goes out about three, more people standing idle, hires them. He even goes out at 5 p.m., they're standing idle, he hires them. 6 p.m., the day's done. It gets dark, there's no electricity or flashlights at this time, so people stop working whenever it gets dark. 
So what happens? Now it's time to give them their day's payment. Some of them worked for 12 hours, others for nine hours, others for six hours, some for three hours, some only for one hour. So he starts with those that worked the least amount of time, and he gives them a full day's pay, a denarius. So imagine the boss is generous today. We're getting bonuses. If the people that worked one hour got a full day's pay, well, shoot, I worked 12 hours. So that person got one denarius. I could probably reasonably expect, since he told me he's going to pay me what's just, that I'm going to get maybe 12 denarius, denarii, that perhaps since they got paid a full day's wage, I'm going to get paid a little bit more because I worked harder. I deserved that. I was in the heat. I'm probably tired and frustrated and ready to go home and watch Netflix. So give me my 12 denarii. But unfortunately, that's not how it goes. The people that were hired at 6 a.m. get paid the same amount. And now, naturally, they grumble, they complain. What's this about? These people barely even worked. I worked all day. How in the world are we equal right now? This is not fair. And nonetheless, the landowner says, are you envious because I'm generous? Whenever I hired you, we agreed on your wage. Am I not free to do with my, what I want with my own money? Okay, what in the world's going on here? Why is God not fair? St. Augustine interprets this passage this way. He says that the denarii, the denarius, which is a form of currency which equals one day's wage, he says that is a symbol for eternal life. And for those that receive eternal life, it's no more or less eternal. You either have it or you don't. So, some worked and labored all day long, and at the end of that day, they were rewarded with the gift of eternal life. And others were standing idle for the majority of the day. But because God was good, he invited him, them to work in the vineyard and then to receive eternal life. So translate that into what's happening spiritually here. Yes, it's true that somebody could be the most terrible of sinners and they might have a conversion on their deathbed and they might have to spend a little time in purgatory but if they had a real conversion if a priest was at their bedside and offered them confession the last rites we can expect that they will receive the gift of eternal life you might say that's not fair how could someone so evil receive that type of gift? How is God willing to be so unfair? And if that's the case, well, heck, what am I doing here? All right, everybody out. Go party. Go do something fun. Go sin. Might as well. And just have a little conversion on your deathbed. Then we all get eternal life. Wouldn't that be nice? Why not? That's what this seems to be suggesting. Because God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. How can we grapple with this? How can we understand it? I'd like to suggest this. Mercy does not contradict justice. Mercy elevates justice. 
I'll say it again. Mercy does not contradict justice. Mercy elevates justice. You see, the, 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 the laborers that were hired at 6 a.m., they're grumbling and they're complaining because they were keeping score. They think of justice in strict terms. They think of justice simply as you do your work, you get paid. You keep your score and you get your, your, your payment, your retribution, your whatever you deserve exactly according to how much you've worked. And they keep tally. And, and yeah, that's strict justice. But the problem with that is if we live all of our lives with such a tight Excel spreadsheet and it's so strict, we can easily slip into forgetting about the human person. We can forget about our relationships. And so what we want to say here is that it's not that God's not fair. It's not that he doesn't care about justice. But justice without mercy is cruel. Justice without mercy is impersonal. Justice without mercy kills relationships. And true justice, the whole point of justice, the reason that justice is something that God cares about is because justice is better defined as right relationship. You see, all of us, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, and for the whole history of the world since then, There has been broken relationships everywhere. We all know what this is about. There's a broken relationship with us and God. There's a broken relationship with us and each other. There's even a broken relationship within our own heart. And and we can even say there's a broken relationship between us and all of creation, the rest of the world. All of these relationships are messy. They're complicated. Christ restores it. Not by strict justice, but by mercy. And whenever we start speaking the language of mercy within the lens of justice, we recognize that what's best and truly right and just is to repair and restore relationships. And that's impossible without mercy. And so God takes our our categories of strict justice and scorekeeping and tally marking, and he turns that world upside down with this parable. Because we don't just gain eternal life by achieving our quota. We don't achieve eternal life because we're really skilled and we did a lot of hard work and now here's your reward. Margarita's at the beach. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift offered to us. And we participate in it now. We have a taste even now. If we accept the Lord's invitation to labor in his vineyard. And some people begin at the very beginning of their life. And what a gift that is. You could say, wow, they work so hard. Yeah, the Christian life is hard. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, you're going to probably struggle with temptation. You're going to probably feel conflicted at times. Maybe you'll be persecuted. You might suffer. Yeah, it's hard to labor in the vineyard. But it's so much better than standing idle in the marketplace. Standing idle in the marketplace is without dignity. It's just selfish. It just wallows and wastes away. There's no purpose in that type of life. And there's certainly no eternal life on the other side of it. So yeah, it's true. Some people finally figure it out at the end of their life, at the 5 p.m. hour. But that's because God's good. And we should rejoice if that ever happens, not be jealous. The whole point 
of justice and mercy is to restore relationships between God, ourselves, and the world. It's not to keep score. I'll give you an example. Uh, Earlier this week, I was visiting some friends, and uh, they have a couple of children, and uh, two of which um, are ages six and four. And they were really excited to show me their new soccer goals in their backyard. Because they know that I, I grew up playing soccer. I love soccer. So we go outside, and, uh, and, and we're playing soccer. And, you know, we're running around. They're running around. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of kicking the ball with them. And they're showing me how they can dribble and that they can shoot and score. And, um, and we're just kind of playing like this kind of free-for-all game. Imagine how horrible of a human being I would be if I kept score and beat them. I'm 32. I am not six. I am not four. They are the cutest, sweetest little girls. Imagine how sick I would be if I said, all right, girls, let's go. And then I just dribble past them, knock them down like I'm Will Ferrell or something, and then I just kick it into the goal. No. Because I, sometimes it's better not to keep score for the sake of preserving a relationship. Thank goodness God is like that. Because if he kept score, none of us could pay it back. The weight of our own sin, none of us could pay it. But that's how good God is. God is not a scorekeeper. He is a father. He is a father that seeks to restore our relationships. And he never gives up on us, even if we find ourselves at the 5 p.m. hour of our life. He still doesn't give up. He's ready to invite us back into harmony, into relationship with him. I want you to think for a moment in your own life, in your own relationships, do you keep score? I notice that sometimes this happens with spouses, like maybe one spouse gives himself a little bit and a little bit more does a little favor for, you know, um, the other spouse, favor here, favor there. And in the back of their mind, they're like keeping tally. And then they're wondering why the other spouse is not like also returning the favors. Hello. And then there's like resentment. Like, what's going on here? We're not, we, we don't feel like we're just not sinking. Something's off because we're keeping score. If we build our relationships around strict justice, they'll start to fall apart. Relationships exist and, and, and thrive and blossom whenever you add mercy to the equation. It also happens on the negative side too, uh, keeping score. Sometimes someone does something wrong, just something small, something else small, and then it adds up and something else small. And then, and then suddenly it's just like you have this huge grudge and the person doesn't even know about it. Had no idea. And you're, you're never going to be able to forgive that person until they just pay it all back, until they just pay every single, they answer for every little thing that they've done. But you're fighting a losing battle. We show mercy for the sake of relationship. God does not keep score. He keeps relationships. God is not a scorekeeper. He's a good father. 
So today I just want to invite you to reconsider all the times that you've kept score. Sometimes it's necessary, sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's just for fun. But when it comes to preserving a relationship, sometimes it's better not to keep score. Amen.